to you. Glad you're with us here today. A couple weeks ago, we've jumped into a new series. You'll see that on the screen there, The Journey of a Lifetime. And there's really two parts, though, just a reminder of this journey. The first one is this. As we walk toward the sun, not the S-U-N, it's walking toward the S-O-N, the call in our lives is to grow in our faith and to be changed and move towards spiritual maturity. But the other side of it is really this, and we have a theme verse as well with this. We're never called to walk that journey alone. God invites us to invite somebody else with us and to be used in somebody else's life. And Paul demonstrated that. Here's the theme verse, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Look how it reads. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. See, what does it mean to be on a path where others will be presenting other people complete or mature in Christ. And parents, I hope you realize how important this is for you when it comes to your parenting as well. But last week, I, we began digging in 1 John, and I want to put that on the screen, a passage here that reveals some interesting things. And one of the things that it reveals is that there's stages to this journey of a lifetime. There's the place of children and young men and we could put young women and then fathers and mothers in the faith now you got to catch this that we, it doesn't happen overnight and there's there's some characteristics but let me read the text and we'll kind of left off here last week first john 2 look at verse 12 i'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake i'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, those underlying words there, children, young men, and fathers, that is not a physical age. That's talking about a spiritual dimension as to where people are at. But in this first stage of children, it implies two qualities there, and we looked at this last week in more detail, but it's basically this. Their sins are forgiven, past, present, and even future. And the second one in that text is that this, they know Jesus. A relationship with God has started on this journey. But like physical children, children are not supposed to stay young forever. They have to grow up at some point. And, and you'll notice there that second phrase of young men, and again, we could say young women would be very appropriate here. But there's really three qualities in this young man stage, and it's this. The Word of God lives in them, and that's not just knowledge. The Word really is embedded into the life and the soul of a, of a young man, young woman. They've overcome the evil one. It's this idea that they're beginning to figure out who Satan is, what sin is about, the lies that are out there. They're beginning to discern in those areas. And that third one, it's the issue they're strong, that they're drawing on the resources of the Holy Spirit to really walk through the world that's in many ways chaotic and that's the chaos that's around us in the world. But I ended with this statement last week. 
too often the church over the years, and I think ever since I was growing up, I really have come to convince to this, is that this second level of young man, young woman, that has been defined as spiritual maturity within the churches of our, of our culture in our day. When you look at those three qualities, they look at that, that's really the goal. But in this passage, there's another place that the scripture tells us about. Look at verse 13 and 14. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. The very same phrase twice. Now again, it's not gender here. This could be mother we could put there as well. And understand, this has nothing to do with biological children. This is about spiritual issues here. But it does imply a destination, a, a place that we're aiming for. When you look to take people someplace, it really implies someplace where we need to go. But embedded in that phrase, in this, these two verses, really are two realities that we have to catch. And the first one, if you're following along in the notes, I said it this way. A father and mother in this stage has a deepening intimacy with the transcendent God. See, a, a, a spiritual mother and a father comes to a place where the key issue is about their relationship with God. Now, you might ask the question, can, can a young man have that same relationship. And here's how I would illustrate it. You know, you know I've been married, I've hit four, the 40-year mark in our marriage. But if I were to think back to year five, for instance, and ask the question, did I love my wife? And the answer is, yeah, I did. And we actually had a pretty good relationship at five years. But when I go out a little bit longer and I look at 35 and 40, and I look at where we're at relationally speaking, in our love for each other, I don't want to go back to year five. There's something different now, I think, that we can say that in our lives that really imply that there's a depth in our marriage that's different than it was many years ago. See, the issue is ultimately about oneness. It's about intimacy. And this is where we apply this to God. It's about intimacy with God. Let me just show you a quote on intimacy that's kind of fun. I found it this week. It said this, Real intimacy makes us feel alive, like we've been found, as if someone finally took the time to peer into the depths of our soul and really see us there. Now, this is true. God peers into our souls. He sees the depths. He knows the sin. He knows the nuances. But understand, in intimacy, there's a reciprocal relationship. And the call in this stage is for us to peer into the depths of God. That where we see something profound, we see the relationalness of God. And understanding this phrase even, that's, that, that's, that, that this, you know him who is from the beginning, it, it's really the issue is around this idea of to know. That, that word, it's a Greek word, by, it's a phrase gnosko, and it's a word that goes beyond knowledge. It's not just about knowing the details of some things in their life. At the heart, it's about intimacy. 
It's beyond a casualness. It's about a love, a mutual love for one another. Now, let me just give another illustration to kind of even push it. I think this applies here. I remember when my kids sometimes they'd come running up to you and they'd grab your legs and, Daddy, 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 I love you. And is that love genuine for that three-year-old son or daughter? And you go, yeah, they really love you. This afternoon we got to go down to a birthday party. If my 39-year-old son comes to me and says, Ken, Dad, I love you. Do you understand the difference between him knowing me now than at three or four? He knows my weaknesses. He knows my strengths. There's more mutual love going on. There's more purity to it in that sense. You catch the difference there, that ultimately this walk, as we look at, you know him who is from the beginning, is about a relationship with the God who, who is from all time, who has been out through all of eternity. See, that becomes the reality that we need to pursue. But there's another issue in this, these phrases as well. Because the very fact that it states the word father, Father is a relational term. It's a parenting term. But understand here again, what's really going on, let me, let me put the, fill that line in for your notes here, the reality of how I stated it. A spiritual father and mother have a desire and an ability to infuse spiritual DNA into other people. In, in biology, Physical, fathers. There's a genetic infusion between fathers and moms and down to the children. But that also takes place here when one gets to be a place of a father and mother, they begin to infuse spiritual DNA into other people. And understand, that is really at the heart of presenting another person mature in Christ. There's change that's actually taking place. It's more than just bringing someone to a faith. God is using a person, a father and mother, to profoundly change somebody else. But understand this as well. You think of fathering and mothering. It's very intentional. It's very intentional. You think of biological parents. You know, how many of you, when they turned five or six, you said, oh, Johnny, it's your choice. You can go to school or not. Any of you do that? Why? You know that there's a time when they need to start their education, where they need to learn, they need to do some things. You understand there's a process of helping your kid grow up spiritually where spiritual parents also know it's just not letting people do what they want. It's helping them move on a path in a journey toward a destination of also becoming a father and mother in their faith. You know, one of the nuances here, you know, we introduce when babies are born and we celebrate the idea of families and parenting and marriages. And I speak on it often. I realize that. But let me ask you the question, do we have a vision for us to become spiritual parents, spiritual moms and dads, where we're looking to infuse spiritual DNA into children? 
Are we, are we ever, do we see the destination? Are we intentional in that process? Now, i got to say another piece here as well. If you're not married or if you don't have kids, recognize this. God is still inviting you. It's not about your marital status or even having children. He's inviting you to become a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. I think it's God's will for your life. But here's where I want to start to go even a little bit deeper here. Because when you look at a father and mother, what are some of the road signs that we begin to recognize as to where we're at and where God is calling us to go? I used an illustration last week, if you want to listen online, but I talked about moving from state to state to state and ending up in God's country in northern Minnesota in that sense. But there's a call of movement, and what are some of the road signs that we need to recognize as to to what is a father and a mother, spiritually speaking? Now, I have to, we have to assume one thing here. For a father and a mother, I believe they've, they've already passed or they've, the, the DNA of a young man and a young woman. The Word of God lives in him. That's true of a spiritual father and mother. Have they overcome the evil one, understanding that the sin and stuff? Yes. They've already gone through that stage. We've got to assume that a father and mother has gone through that and those elements are in their lives as well. But let me just give you a couple markers of a father and a mother. The first one, the roadside markers with God, number one there. A spiritual father and mother knows and embraces the belief that God's love is what ultimately shapes their heart, their will, their mind, and the relationship with God. See, a father and the mother believe this, that God is good. He is the giver of good things. And they believe that God doesn't just choose to love us. Do you realize God loves to love us? Do we believe that? But this father and mother at this point, they're beginning to grasp the enormity of this statement that says, God is love. And now we're going to go deeper in this in the future here. But they've begun to figure out that it's the bond with Jesus, the bond with Christ, is ultimately what changes them. It's not trying harder. You know, the, this biblical concept of, that says this, taste and see if he's good, meaning taste and see of, of who God is and see if he's good. For a father and mother, they keep tasting, they keep drinking, and they find every time they there, know beyond a shadow of the doubt that he is good. See, this is so much more than just intellectually knowing that God is love. A father and mother knows he's safe. It's unconditional. But it's also what changes them. And I want to show you a passage that really points to this. Ephesians chapter 3. The context of this, by the way, is that there's a church that's suffering. And I'm not going to read the verse, but in verse 13, it talks about suffering actually being their glory. Interesting phrase. I'm not going to dig on that. But, but they're suffering, and Paul prays for them. And he doesn't pray that they try harder, that they just suck it up and get on with life. 
Now, he doesn't pray that way at all. Look at how he prays in verse 14, and it reveals how God works. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What does that phrase mean? He's praying that the bond with Christ in our inner being, that the Spirit would come and that the bond through faith would grow and grow and grow. But look how he continues. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That last phrase talks about spiritual, profound spiritual change in our lives. It literally is the understanding of the essence of spiritual maturity. See, and we keep telling in young men and women, you just need to learn to act right. And you go, that's not going to last We keep telling children and young men, you have to keep more effort. You just got to discipline yourself more in order to be some godly person or live a moral life. No, it it is the relationship with Christ that changes us, that grows us up, that takes us on the journey, and he walks with us on that journey in relationship. Now, we're going to explore and actually go deeper there in, in weeks ahead. Let me give you another certainty in this relationship. Number two, a spiritual father and mother knows with certainty that God is completely trustworthy and good in every circumstance. You know, a father and a mother in this place, their beliefs don't change about who God is and his goodness. A father doesn't blame or doubt doesn't come into his mind that, oh, is God really good? Do I really trust his word? Uh, Let me give you kind of a hard example. I was reading a story here this week of a, actually it was a pastor, where his daughter came out of the closet and said, started moving into a gay lifestyle. But you know statistically what happens in the Christian world when that takes place with that issue? Beliefs begin to change. Did God really say that homosexuality is sin? And there's oftentimes a movement away from biblical beliefs in that area. A slide. But for a father and mother, there is a certainty, even when it's hard. I was at a restaurant recently, and and there was a group of ladies at a table, and I was sitting pretty close, and uh, just hearing the conversation, and I didn't mean to over, you know, eavesdrop a bit, but I was doing it, and and they were talking about, ended up talking about another person, and their husband had dementia. Their husband had dementia, and one of the ladies made this statement. She said, I don't know why she doesn't leave her husband. He's so hard to handle in the area of dementia. You know, my father had gone through it, so it kind of resonated with me how hard it was on my mom. But here's the reality. A spiritual father and mother would never consider taking the easy way out in that situation. 
And in every situation, they just don't take the easy route. See, the question of Romans chapter 8, does all things work together for good? Is that true? Or is God not trustworthy in that statement? That he can take the hard things in our lives and he wants us to use those hard things to reveal his love and for us to run to him in those hard times. He's just waiting for us to run rather than doubt who he is. Can I, can I give you a biblical example even of this? I want to show you a scripture. This is Job chapter 1. Remember Job, he lost all of his stuff. Satan was testing him. And it comes to a point, somebody runs up to Job and he says, Job, all your children, they're all dead. The house fell on them. And the response, you see a spiritual father here. Look at the response in Job 1.20 at this. Job got up and tore his robe. It, it was a, that tearing of the robe was a symbol of intense pain. Then he shaved his head and then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. His children... May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Job, in that instance, found God good and trustworthy. That is a spiritual parent. That that's the aim. Does it take a while to get there? The answer is yes. It's a deepening relationship, but don't give up. Don't give up. But here's the other deal as well. There, there's also in this 1 John 2, there's an implication of there's the father and his relationship with God, but then there's the father and relation to her mother, relationship with their children. What would be some of the markers that would imply that that's taking place here? Now, I, I, I think here's one of the challenge for us in that is, when you look at our relationship with God, I think we can intellectually understand that. But when we look at our relationship as, a, as an older person in the faith and going, what does it mean to be a spiritual parent? Where do you begin? How do you start? Here's one of the, I think that issue is actually more of a struggle for us to understand at times. And you know why? I think it's this. I think we've had such, so few models when I talk to people and look at their past and their lives and say, who's your spiritual parents? And, and so often it's, I didn't have anybody. There wasn't anybody in my life investing into me like that. So I think that's the challenge for us. But what makes a, a father and a mother attractive? Where young people or young in their faith want to spend time with them. What does that look like? What, how do, what does it mean that you're invigorated by spending time with this father and mother? Now here's, I just want to go sideways again for a second here. Some nuances in terms of even children and their faith. And one of the things I've realized over the last 15, oh, maybe 20 years is that many people within churches, and I could look back and maybe it was pieces in my own life, where there's a place in their spiritual journey where they just really don't care about maturing. There's a, there's a stagnancy that goes, I'm okay where I'm at. I don't really worry about my spiritual journey and where I'm at. 
And they can talk about Jesus wanting to get to a better place, but when you peel the, the layers back, there just isn't a lot of interest. See, it's actually, I think it's easy to avoid being, there's an avoidance issue of just getting trapped in that avoidance. Can I go down a path here as well um, with parents, for you as parents? You know, I I worked in youth ministry for probably, formerly as a pastor and and other ministry for about 10 years and worked in college ministry for another 10, 15 years. But too often, here's what I saw in youth ministry, is that the parents were the least realistic in where their children were at spiritually. Way too many parents want to kind of stick their head in the sand and cover their ears and go, I really don't want to look at where my kid is at and their desires. Um, One of the things that I wish I could have done as a youth pastor, you know how you have parent-teacher conferences in high school for you teachers out there and you figure out where they're at in the journey of, of education? I wish I could have done that as a youth pastor with the parents and in my youth group. But I would also say this. Those times when I, I tried to come alongside of parents and do you realize where your child is at? Those are some of the hardest times in youth ministry that I had. I remember a time where a, a young man was actually into demonic activity and I came to his parents and said, do you understand where he's, what's happening in his life? And they got angry at me. I got kind of gun-shy at that point. But see, it's a reality that people or young or teens can be walking around in circles really not attracted to this pathway of moving toward maturity, walking toward Jesus. But I also recognize this. There are others within the church that really want to go there. They want to walk toward Christ But oftentimes there's some issues that hold them back. Hebrews tells, throw off the things and the weight and the sin that entangles. There's things that entangle people's lives where it kind of holds them back and there's a fear of going, I don't really want to expose myself to anyone else. There's a fear of looking into deficiencies and the baggage that we carry. And my prayer for you is that that's you is... I hope God gives you courage, and that would be the prayer, that he would give you the courage to still move. But for many, you're starting to exercise your legs. You're starting to walk up that path. What is it then about a father and mother where you want to walk with them? What are some of the qualities and the markers of a father and mother? Well, let me fill in some for your your notes there. The first one, number one. The markers that the children recognize. People recognize and know with certainty that spiritual fathers and mothers strive to be life-giving. People see a father and mother as givers. You know what? People are pretty quick. And even children can figure out when an older person, even in the faith, is needing something from somebody else. You know, realize one of the most destructive things in parenting is is when parents are needy and looking to get something from their children. Now, some parents don't even know that it's happening, but parents needing love and working to manipulate to get that love from a teenager or child, it's a disaster to the relationship. 
See, one really can't be a spiritual parent if we're needy in the sense where we need something from those that we're trying to infuse and give and pour into their lives. So people get stuck there. But when a child or a young man in a spiritual sense, when, they, when they're heading toward Christ and they meet up with a true father and mother, they know deep down that the spiritual parent is wanting the best for them, wanting to move them in a new direction relationally with Christ. And it's not about them, it's about what Jesus can do in their lives. See, they're looking to present and move you toward Christ in that sense. I think of examples. I had to ponder even examples in my life. And you know, my friend Ron Frost, he's spoken here a couple times, and he's a weighty guy, I understand. But he has been a mentor in my life and Deanna's life for a long, for many years, back into the mid-'80s. And I look at his life, and beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that every time, and sometimes it's two, three years before we get together, when we spend time together, there's this always this, in the back of my mind, I know he's looking to move me toward Christ. He wants me to know the love of the Father just a little bit more. He's wanting to just take me in new places and thinking in new ways about God that I've never experienced in the past. And I know that he accepts me. And I'm confident at this point, you know what, if I was struggling in sin or really in some bad places, I'm convinced he'd fly out and say, Ken, I want to help. I want to make a difference in your life. I want to be used by God to help you go to a different place. See, spiritual parents like that, they have a vision of where they want somebody to go. But let me give you another marker. Number two, people recognize and know with certainty that these spiritual mothers and fathers are still looking to grow in wisdom and their relationship with Christ. See, a young person can sense that the father and mother, they're looking to become more and more effective. They are needing more and more spiritual wisdom. Depending more on their understanding and pursuing an intimacy with God. They're learners. They're teachable. See, young men and women, and especially children, oftentimes they look for simple answers, but a, young, but a father in the faith and mother in their faith, they're realizing there isn't simple answers at times to the, some of the issues in the world. But they also realize that they need to be still growing. They need to be teachable. They need to come under somebody's authority. Why? Because it helps them influence and push, helps them figure out how to help somebody else toward Jesus. Now, let me just go sideways again. Parents, for physical children, this is, this is true for you. If you don't stay ahead of the game in parenting, you will get left behind and you will cease to become the primary spiritual influencer in your children. You must stay ahead of the game. We live in a different world than when you grew up. And I'll say, it's a lot harder right now. Keep learning. Keep pushing. But let me go with another one. Number three, people recognize and know with certainty that a spiritual father and mother will leave behind a Jesus-centered legacy. 
See, the question, what does a spiritual mother and a father want to leave behind when they walk away from this world, when God takes them home? Have you ever stopped and asked the question, what do I want when people stand up at my funeral letter service and and as they describe us? Have you ever pondered that? And man, if you say something like this, you know, I don't be known, I want to be known as a nice guy, a loving dad, faithful. Uh, can I be blunt with you here? That's actually kind of shallow. L- let me give you the, the example with my friend Ron. Ron was a seminary professor, and he impacted tons of guys through the educational process. But I don't believe that he would describe himself that that was fathering for him. You see, his greatest impact was outside the classroom. He was meeting with me for lunch and trying to pull me toward Jesus. And I'm guessing, I think I'm certain of this, when people would speak at his funeral... He would be disappointed if the best that was said was he was faithful, a nice guy, and he loved people. See, Ron's DNA, his spiritual DNA, has been infusing in people's lives, including mine. He influenced a youth pastor that Deanne and I, they were mentors to us in youth ministry. And some of Ron's DNA was passed into that youth pastor by the name of Bill Trankman. And Bill Trankman was infusing it into other people. And Bill's, Bill Trankman's even son, he was infusing it his, into his son. His name was Robbie, and Robbie used to play with, with my son Andy and my daughter Bethany when they were really little. And, and Rob is a country leader in a missions organization now over in Europe. See, the legacy of Ron's life is not only is there children, there's grandchildren. And I'm convinced that at his funeral, there's going to be people coming out of the woodwork saying, Ron was a spiritual father to me. And I would say that. I would say that. And you know the interesting thing about Ron? He's 67 right now. I think that's his age. He's never been married, and he's never had any kids. And yet, there is an abundance of children walking behind him. And the legacy that he was, is, will be leaving will go from generation to generation to generation. You know, one of the This week was even pondering my past and my growing up years. And one of the disappointments of my life was my relationship with my father. You know, my dad, I remember at my dad's funeral, it was down in Merrifield and and it was at the church and we were sitting there listening and, and people over and over again would say, oh, your dad was so nice, he was kind. And he was, he was rarely, he wasn't an angry father. He was gentle, and he modeled a great moral lifestyle, a great morality. And yet when, it's, when it comes to a spiritual legacy, there's six of us in the family, and I, 
at least from my standard, and I know a couple of other kids I've talked to, other siblings on this, is that we wouldn't view him as a spiritual father. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's one of the disappointments that I have in life is because I, I, I wish that I could say that my dad was a spiritual father to me. Physically he was, but he wasn't spiritually. I don't remember hardly any spiritual conversations that I had with him. For years and years, I I just don't remember them. See, the question is, what do we want in our legacy? What do we want when we exit this world? What do we want written on our tombstone? What do we want said when we leave this world? Is the sum of it, he was a nice guy, and I've did a number of funerals, and that's kind of the standard in this world even within the church. I need to quit. Here's how we're going to approach it, even dig down a little bit deeper every week. You see, you have children, you have young men and young women, and fathers and mothers in their faith. But what are the key things? What what does the bridge look like that moves on a pathway from a child to a young man? What are those things that are building blocks that are absolutely necessary to move to a young man and a young woman? That if we begin working and walking alongside of them, what are key things that we must help infuse into a child? And what are the things in terms of a young man and young woman, what are things that are absolutely necessary to go to a different place where we become spiritual parents? See, God wants us to move to a place where our destination is to become spiritual parents, where we're infusing Christ-centered DNA into other people, everyone and when you go, who is this everyone? You go, it could be a neighbor, it could be a co-worker, it could be parents. It needs to be your children, I'll say that. But it needs to go beyond our kids. It's not just our, ch- our kids and us. This issue of everyone, even in that Colossians 1, 28 and 29, it's people that he wants you to help walk toward, not the S-U-N, toward the S-O-N. Let's stand and pray.